This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, and uh, thank you for joining us again today. Uh, I have with me two of the senior figures in iMoneyNet, a uh, company that over four decades has tracked uh, the money market industry uh, and is currently under the umbrella of EPFR, whose research efforts I direct. I want uh, today to give Kevin and Jay a chance to sketch out uh, the core elements of iMoneyNet's business uh, and discuss uh, a few of the forces that are currently shaping it. We will get into some of those in greater detail uh, further down the line, but today will be something of a scene setter. Uh, Kevin, Jay, glad to have you with us. Uh, would one of you like to take a stab at sort of uh, giving a potted history of iMoneyNet and uh, its general evolution since what is it, the mid-1970s? Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Cam. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Jay. That's uh, my uh, colleague, Kevin. Uh, yeah, correct. Uh, we have um, been in the business of collecting data on money market funds uh, going back to 1975. Um, initially, we were collecting monthly information over time that that collection has evolved. Uh, today, we collect uh, daily, weekly, and monthly information on um, not only U.S. money market funds, but also uh, European uh, money market funds. And in addition to that, some, some other locations as well. Um, currently, we we collect about 4.5 trillion in U.S. money market fund assets. Um, those assets are up uh, 150 billion uh, over over the last year. Uh, in addition, we collect um, uh, just about one trillion in offshore assets. Those assets are prim- primarily denominated in uh, U.S. dollar, sterling, and euro. Um, Assets there are basically about flat over the last year. Uh, and then in addition to that, we, we track uh, $650 billion in um, short-duration uh, bond fund data. Uh, we tend to focus more on the ultra-short and uh, ultra-short uh, conservative space, but um, uh, have increased our collection capabilities in, in that marketplace uh, over the last last year or so as well. So before we push into this discussion, uh, could one of you give me sort of a thumbnail of the major money market fund groups? Because I know there's at least four and maybe as many as eight that have been tracked for some time. Yeah, so I'll jump in on that. So there's um, there's uh, uh, several category averages or categories, if you will. We end up creating category averages uh, for each category. Uh, so we create an indice for each each category, if that makes sense. Uh, there's two major categories. There's the taxable, and then there's the tax-free. Uh, the taxable category, um, you know, is broken up into like prime funds and government funds, um, and then they're broken up into either fur- in, into further subcategories. So on the government side, you have treasury, treasury only, government agencies, uh, and different categories like that. 
And then on the tax-free side, we have the national tax-free funds. And then we also have the uh, state-specific tax-free funds. And then for all of the institutional categories, uh, for all the categories, we have uh, broken them out into either institutional or retail funds. Uh, so the retail being for the individual investors and the institutional being for the large uh, institutions, asset managers, um, pension funds, et cetera, that, that are trading in money markets. Just to be clear, the, the prime funds are the ones with the least constrained investment mandates. They can draw on a broader pool of assets and compete more on yield than, let's say, the government or municipal funds. That's correct. So the prime funds, I look at the prime funds as kind of a catch-all, uh, the kitchen sink of all funds, if you will. They can invest in commercial paper, asset-backed commercial paper, uh, treasuries, repos, uh, bank banknotes, uh, foreign notes as well. Uh, so uh, they're definitely uh, very diverse and um, varied uh, investments within the prime fund categories. And I would just quickly mention that we track the detailed holdings on, on all the U.S. funds on a monthly basis. So our, our clients are able to see uh, and do reporting on the, the actual investments that, uh, that these funds are making. Um, what are clients doing with this data you've been amassing for so long? Our clients are using the data for primarily trend analysis and competitive intelligence. Uh, so they can do fund-to-fund fund fund comparisons. Uh, they can do historical trend analysis, um, whether it be on assets or yields, historical performance uh, information, uh, weighted average maturities, um, expenses, that's another big one uh, that we, they do analysis on quite a bit. Uh, since we collect that those data points for all the funds, um, they're able to go in and do these historical uh, comparisons and, and analysis, um, you know, whether it be a five-year look or going back 25, 30 years, uh, looking into the universe of money funds. It does. And would it be fair to say that um, there's almost a, a before the great financial crisis and after the great financial crisis narrative uh, to money market funds? Uh, certainly before they were most noted for their pledge that a dollar in would, would result in a dollar out, that the buck would not be broken, uh, and that they generally flew so low uh, that they didn't even register on the financial radar screens. Uh, since the great financial crisis, uh, anyone sort of reading your research and looking at your figures uh, would see spikes and troughs related to reform initiatives, uh, zero interest rates, or even in the case of uh, the, your European coverage, um, money market complexes dealing with negative interest rates. Um, is it fair to sort of look at, at your data in that context? Yeah, for, for sure. It's It's been quite an interesting past decade or so since, um, since the great financial crisis. We've uh, had a, a number of different um, Money fund reforms uh, be introduced into the marketplace. Uh, we're poised to potentially add to those reforms, um, in that the SEC had uh, proposed um, uh, some new rule amendments uh, late last year. Those um, regulatory changes have have contributed to uh, to some shifts in terms of um, 
uh, investor preferences and, and asset types. Um, prior to 2016, when uh, we saw a, a round of um, uh, reforms uh, put into to effect, prime funds and, and government funds had a roughly equal share in the marketplace. Since the implementation of, of those reforms, we've seen uh, a shift in investor preference where the lion's share of assets have, have moved towards government money market funds that have used some of the the older uh, $1 in, $1 out per share, where prime institutional funds have, have shifted to the uh, floating NAV, which um, which has caused some investors to, to choose to, to move to government funds, as well as some other um, regulatory changes as well. And of course, those reforms you mentioned were put to the test perhaps sooner than anyone anticipated with the uh, explosion uh, of the uh, COVID pandemic in the first quarter of 2020. Uh, from where you sit, uh, did, the, did the reforms instituted in uh, sort of 2016 do the job they were intended? Yeah, I, I think so for the most part. Um, we have seen um, – that post uh, kind of pandemic shock that um, that's contributed to the the most recent round of um, of uh, proposed rule changes. Uh, part of the the reforms around 2016 were to implement liquidity fees and gates around times of stress. What I think we've we've seen is that those fees potential fees and gates had contributed to investors' um, incentive to to quickly redeem if there was uh, concern um, in, in the marketplace. So, uh, part of the new reform uh, may be eliminating the the fees and gates and moving to um, to swing swing pricing in times of stress. So. That's something that the industry, I think, is contemplating right now. That may be a challenge for uh, for some of the organizations that use um, money market funds, particularly the institutional uh, investors, to uh, to deal with potential swing pricing and how to to manage that within their um, liquidity systems and and accounting systems. In addition to that, the SEC is thinking about. Um, Increasing liquidity requirements, also um, potentially additional reporting requirements as well. So, yeah, the industry is kind of uh, digesting and, and making comments uh, on those on those potential rule changes, and and we'll see how this this process evolves. One thing we haven't really mentioned is how valuable the industry is to sort of the wheels of everyday commerce. It uh, serves as a, a big pool for major corporations to uh, do their short-term uh, you know, seven days and under borrowing um, and enables corporate treasurers uh, to park large sums while picking up a few basis points here and there. Uh, but obviously, those corporate treasurers that benefit from it are uh, not going to have great career prospects if the money they've deposited is gated or uh, a swing pricing action changes its value. 
What's sort of been the response from the users? I've certainly heard more about uh, competition and alternatives in the past couple of years. And uh, in those conversations, ultra short-term bond funds have cropped up. Uh, What what sort of directions are the uh, practical responses taking? Yeah, so you're correct, Kim. The um in terms of alternative investments, um, it look for, looking for more, um, a little bit more yield, if you will. Um, you know, some of the fund managers and, or corporate treasurers have been more aggressive in looking at uh, some of the short duration bond fund products, uh, where they can pick up a little bit more yield um, than they could on a money fund. There's more risk, obviously, but they can pick up a little more yield there. Um, and now that rates are going back up again, uh, they might be looking that way again in the near future. Um, in, in putting money into those products in the short term coming up, as opposed to being at a prime fund, which um, might get them a little bit less uh, yield, or a government fund, which is going to get them a little bit less yield. So definitely looking at uh, the ultra shorts. And we do have an ultra short database, too, that the, our clients use for competitive intelligence and analysis there as well. Right. And wasn't it one of your clients that asked you to sort of uh, ramp up your coverage of that segment? That's correct. We've had several clients that have, uh, you know, based on demand, uh, we've started collecting this information in the last couple of years, and uh, we've created a database, and that's available now via our Money Fund Analyzer tool and on our Money Fund Monitor tool as well. We've had a few clients that have um, that have requested that. Um, with the changes that we've seen take place with, with prime institutional funds um, coming out of 2016, um, it made it probably a challenge for, for some investors to still participate in those type of funds, especially with the, the fees and gates in place. Um, many of the fund complexes are offering uh, conservative ultra-short funds that are very similar and operate much the same way uh, as some of those prime institutional funds. So they offer a, a very similar uh, risk investment profile. Um, but with a little less uh, of potential uh, regulatory issues with with uh, fees and gates, um, so there's certainly a a, a place in uh, an investment portfolio, liquidity investment portfolio for um, for some of these um, types of funds that can um, provide some additional yield without really changing the risk profile of of the portfolio. So. Uh, so for those investment groups, they, they have been attractive. We've seen increased interest from the, from the money fund complexes in these types of funds, uh, as well as from investors in, in these portfolios as well. So, um, so there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of years about it. We are seeing assets uh, tick up in, in these funds. And, um, um, you know, I think it's an inv- a viable investment group, you know, as we move forward. So we've talked largely about U.S. Uh, money market funds and indeed in terms of, of raw assets, um, the U.S. money market fund complex is by far the biggest in the world. But you mentioned Europe. Um, and certainly, again, I, I've been picking up that uh, it, it's, a, it's a fund model that has spread quite widely, if not deeply elsewhere. You know, what's your sense of uh, of how this 
peculiarly American vehicle is 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 uh, trading uh, outside our borders. Yeah, the uh, you know the European uh, money funds have have continued to grow over time as well. Uh, that's primarily an institutional marketplace. Um, so that that trillion that we track is is pretty much all institutional uh, assets. You know, I, I think in working um, uh, more closely with with the folks over at EPFR, and I know you uh, EPFR broadly tracks assets. Uh, you know, I think as we look at at various marketplaces around the world, um, there are um, institutional um, assets that need to be liquid that that need professional management and money market funds, um, as we've seen evidenced here in the U.S. and and in Europe, offer um, investors a, a great way, a low cost way to um, to get professional. Uh, liquidity asset management. So I, I tend to think that uh, these vehicles are, are, are flexible. The regulate, regulatory environment may be a bit different depending on where you are in the world, but um, you know these are, have proven to be uh, very popular and um, great and easy ways for investors to um, uh, to take advantage of professional liquidity management. Great. Well, I think uh, we're sort of reaching the the limits of our slot here. Um, we will be doing uh, future segments that take a look at uh, ultra short term bond fa- funds and some of the other alternative liquidity vehicles that are emerging. Um, I think we will probably take a look at. Uh, overseas money market funds in China, where, in fact, uh, iMoneyNet is being asked to track some of the developing uh, market there uh, and a number of other topics that have emerged. So for today, I'll say thank you, uh, Kevin and Jay, and I look forward to talking with you on these more specific fund-related topics in the future. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast. 